1: Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. Just another week. I have no idea really what's coming up, but Scott's going to let us know here in a second. I'm not
2: sure. I've got some notes that don't really make any sense, but we'll try to uh, clobber something together. Is that a word?
3: Maybe. Sure. I'm looking at a a typed, like pages and pages of typed words, but then a lot of scribble scrabble on the top.
2: Yeah, the more I go through my notes, the more I realize that I had a better idea than what I typed up and so i'm scribbling and trying to fix things so yeah it's
1: almost as if you're an editor i know right maybe it'll make sense uh this
2: is the final draft i hold in my hand
3: all right that's it i'm i'm excited have no idea what we're talking about today no. katie i think we're both the dummies today right yes we are i mean because scott's in the big chair don't even know what what he's going to talk
2: about i, I mean, purposely didn't here. tell you
3: i'm just sitting here yeah dumb
2: we have any shout outs? I don't have any.
3: Well, we've got one thing. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. Oh,
1: oh. yeah.
2: Scott Right, mediocre journalist. Kelly Turner, not a doctor. We almost forgot to God. introduce ourselves. I know, I know. I feel like we always almost forget to <laughs> introduce do. ourselves. We do. We're like ready to get... Wait a minute. We got to do this first.
3: Have we ever done an episode where we actually didn't introduce ourselves? Well, we
2: didn't start doing it until like what, the third or fourth episode? Because my Maybe. friend from uh, Washington who had listened, she said, I know who you are, Scott, but who are the other two people? And so that's when we came up with the introductions.
3: That... And that's very valid. So, yeah. Thank you. And see, that just was, goes to show you we Lori listen Lori Wildman,
2: if you're still out there listening four years later. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Lori. And and it just goes to show we listen to our our
2: yeah. fans
3: when they tell us Yeah, if you have a
2: suggestion, if you do. good God, if you can come up with anything that would make this show better, please
0: <laughs> let us know. For
2: the love. <laughs> please are, let us know. Yeah, we're out of ideas here.
3: Um
2: Are you looking for an Oh
3: in? I actually have a shout out okay. here? I was I was looking at our um Comments on Apple. This one comes to us from Apple Podcast, but I think I just i have cl- just clicked away from <laughs> where it was. Hold on. Sorry. So anyway,
2: Katie, how's your day? We're we'll, We're gonna kill time while she finds what she's looking. Well,
3: for. it's cold out again,
2: it is so cold I'm again. upset about that. Yeah, yeah, it is. What's the weather later? As you listen at home today, folks, it's Wednesday. Should
3: be pretty,
1: and
2: so is it supposed to be pretty today? It should be a pretty. As day. you listen, because as we record on Sunday, it's gray and gloomy and overcast yeah. and windy and cold.
1: Well, yeah, Wednesday looks good. I. It, Fun fact about me, I never look at the weather. I'm
3: just as surprised as anyone when I walk outside (laughs) in the morning. That's a fun way to live life.
2: You can decide
3: on your outfit any day. I mean, it's... hmm. So I
2: think what Katie is saying is that there's that one day in the spring when she's still dressed for wintertime. And she walks outside and it's 80 degrees mm-hmm. and she has to turn around and go back inside and change.
3: Maybe.
1: I don't know. It's like a deficit I have. Like, I'm like, I need to look. Like, I'll. it'll be raining. I'm no rain jacket. Like, what What am I doing here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Wearing, you know, shoes that don't make
3: any sense in the rain.
2: <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. That's so foreign to us old folks. I'm
2: down to one <laughs> pair of shoes. So they're, they, they, they work in every weather Those condition. Those are great shoes. I like these.
3: I found our shout out. You guys oh, ready? Hit it. Okay. Uh, this comes from Donna R.R.O. Donna R.R.O.
0: Oh, okay. Um, maybe. Maybe.
3: Uh, I cannot believe I'm just now finding you guys. I listen to Tree Crime Podcast daily, but just found your podcast this week when I was searching for more on Joey Watkins. I'm from Menlo, Georgia, and love local stories and storytellers. So I started from episode one, and I'm listening to all of them.
2: Sorry about episode one.
3: <laughs> do, you still, yeah, do you still do your recordings at Easy Street? Love you guys. Your newest fan, Dana, not Donna, Dana. D-A-N-A.
2: I'm glad we got that right at the end. God,
3: sorry. Okay. I'm so sorry, Dana.
2: Would you like to borrow my glasses?
3: Uh, Dana, <laughs> they're on my head. No, they're not.
2: No, they're not. I don't know where they That's are. That's your headset.
3: Yeah. <laughs> God, I need more coffee today. And um, less Kahlua. Yeah. So, he, uh, um, thank you, Dana. Mm-hmm. And we record on Sundays on Easy Street. Yep. Yes, we do. We have a studio here. But we do not do... Any more live shows? Yeah, we
2: didn't draw a dick at the live show, so we we nixed that.
3: What did you just say?
2: We we had like our <laughs> three loyal. What? We didn't draw a dick for an, for a crowd. We didn't draw a crowd.
3: I. Uh, you guys ever seen
2: Major League?
3: I have. It's been a long time. Yeah, well, that, that's wow. where I borrowed that phrase. That's funny. Um,
2: we, like we is. had three people who showed up.
3: They were loyal. Not counting the they three were of us. Loyal and one very loyal. There was there was actually one live episode where they brought us cookies.
2: That's true. And they uh, were awesome. Crime cookies. shaped cookies. One was a gun. The other was like a chalk outline of a dead body. Yes. And then there's one of our logo. Yes. That somebody and made. And there looked was great. one
3: that said, "Not a doctor, not a lawyer, a mediocre journalist." That's right. That was very very good yeah. Those were from Celeste, weren't they? Were they from or Celeste or Kim? Kim, maybe. I think Kim. Kim.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah and I still so have. Thank mine. you, Kim.
2: I hung mine on the wall. Your cookie.
3: do you still have your cookie? Yeah. They were good. And I ate them. For some
2: reason now I have ants. I yeah. can't figure that out.
3: <laughs> they were delicious. But thank you Dana and uh we will keep doing this at Love Menlo, Georgia. Mm-hmm. What a great place. It is
1: yeah. a great town. Um
3: sorry mm-hmm. that I, I I'm guessing do we have a local story for for Dana today? Not today. <laughs>
2: okay. I do wait, is this No, there's no uh no. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking maybe for a second there might be an Alabama connection in today's story, but uh-huh. that is incorrect.
3: Oh, okay. So, no. Well, we tried. Nothing. But we will have some more local stories. I know we've, yeah. we've kind of been out of the state for a while, mm-hmm. so that's going to continue for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll bring it, it back It gets around. harder
2: and harder to find enough information about a local story mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. To be to have enough to put a podcast together, yeah. Like mm-hmm. If it's something on a national level, there's books and documentaries and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of information. But yep. a local thing, you know, we have to we have to actually uh, pretend to be journalists.
3: And then there are some things that we want to do, but they are not finished does that make sense yes. like still there's still no conclusion working out in trial or yeah. things are mm-hmm. going on that we kind of want to wait on and then get some
1: back things with you. we have to weigh the is are we too close to it
2: Do yeah the yeah local implications of
3: yeah
1: definitely calling
2: out names
3: definitely mm-hmm. don't want to uh What's that phrase? Don't want to shit where you eat. Wow. I mm. wasn't
2: going to go there, but you already did. So, <laughs> all right. Now I don't want that donut that I you know. brought in. I'm
3: sorry. There you go. It's There's okay. your donut. I, you know, I know that we have a, a sweet little fan, uh, Kevin Green's mother,
2: who yeah. laughs oh, every yeah, time right. Scott
3: cusses. I don't know. I just threw one out there. That's I don't right. know if she's laughing at it. If yeah. not, I apologize.
2: Well, I'll sneak one in later,
3: maybe. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Sneak one. That's yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm sure. You guys ready to get started? I...
1: We have to be ready when you are, I Yeah.
2: Think. First off today, okay, let's find out what was going on in the world at the time of the story that we're going to talk about today Okay, on True Crime on Easy Street. I like it. And I had forgotten, really, how interesting a year 1981 was. Oh, wow. Uh, first of all, the most interesting thing to me about 1981 was that on March the 20th, I turned 11 years old.
3: How about that? And
2: I was adorable. Just ask mom oh i uh
3: march 17th of that year i turned three
2: i was gonna ask yep yeah i knew that you were somewhat young and now everybody's done the math and figured out how old you are and we were been trying to hide that information (laughs) you blew it um three weeks after i turned 11 the very first wait a
3: minute i did the math wrong i was two
2: you were two (laughs) okay and i'm not (laughs) i'm not just saying that you're sure uh, three you weeks after.
3: 81, right? 81. Yeah, yeah, two. I was two. Okay, three
2: weeks after I turned 11, the first space shuttle launch took place. That was on April the 12th, 1981. Uh, and I remember watching one of the space shuttle launches, one of those first ones. I don't think it was this one because this one took place on a Sunday. And so maybe the next day in class... Remember when they wheeled in the TV on the yes. with the rollers and it was 13 inches and it was the biggest one that you could buy at the time that yes, would and it, on Yes, it
3: a, might have had a VCR that popped yes, up.
2: That's right. Yeah, our first VCR mm-hmm. popped up from the top. Yeah. And it was- From
3: the top? Yeah. yeah it it big up. as a microwave. And he pushed the VC, the, a, the VHS in and he pop it back down. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was before your time. A lot of things <laughs> that we talk about <laughs> were before Katie's time.
1: Well, I knew the VCRs that came in the bottom of the TV. Yep.
2: Oh, yeah. No, this was way before that.
3: You oh. mean that were as made as part of the TV? Yes. Did you, oh, this is a separate VCR player. Did you know a VCR that was not part of the TV?
2: Hmm. I don't oh, think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, they used Maybe. to be this giant It took two
2: people to carry our first VCR. It, they're it's huge. not yeah. small.
0: No. Huh.
2: Um, and that was, by the way, Katie. Um, I watched that space shuttle. Maybe not the launch, but maybe the they were in orbit for two days that first time. So maybe uh, they wheeled in the TV so that we could watch some of the uh, footage that was downloaded from while the shuttle was in orbit.
1: Uh, was per people on the shuttle?
2: Yes, two okay. people were on the first one, and uh, that was in the old two story school building at Cedar Bluff that you oh. have only seen pictures of.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, President Reagan was supposed to be at Mission Control in Houston. To watch that first space shuttle launch. But something happened a couple of weeks before that that changed his schedule. We will get to that in a minute.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, anyway, a month after the space shuttle launched, Pope John Paul II survived an assassination attempt in uh, St. Peter's Square in Vatican City. Hint.
3: Oh. Is that when he got the little armored car and he had everything the Pope after mobile that? after that? After that? Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, on June the 5th, of 1981, the first ever cases of AIDS were diagnosed in Los Angeles. And on a much lighter note and more colorful, or maybe not, uh, on June the 27th, the first ever game of paintball was played in New Hampshire. Fun. I guess. Random. I played paintball once and I'm never going to do it again. Uh, Both of your husbands were there. We've talked about it before. (laughs) It was a nightmare.
1: That doesn't sound like kind of fun. (laughs) Paintball is
3: fun. You guys don't like paintball.
2: I wanted to hide
3: Oh, come on. <laughs>
1: Some of those guys
2: got nuts.
3: I like laser tag.
1: Like,
2: I was the only guy not dressed in all camouflage. Mm. I did not get the memo on we were dressing <laughs> as commandos to play paintball. Mm. So late to the party on that one. In July of 1981, the Nintendo video arcade game Donkey Kong was released. Uh, That was always my favorite uh, video game in the arcade. And we don't have to tell Katie what an arcade was because we talked about that on our first and 100th shows when we talked about the abduction of Lisa Ann Milliken by Judith Ann Neely. Yes. That was at Aladdin's castle in the Rome Mall. Yes. In August of 1981, uh, MTV launched. You guys remember the name of the first video they ever played?
3: Yes. Can I tell you? Yes. Video killed the radio star.
2: By the Buggles. (laughs) Yeah. And absolutely, absolutely—no pun intended. Later that month, Mark David Chapman was given a twenty-year sentence, a twenty years to life sentence for the murder of former Beatle John Lennon, which had taken place the previous December in December of nineteen eighty. Uh, if you're curious, uh, Mark David Chapman is sixty-eight years old, and as of this morning, still in prison today.
3: Why is it that a lot of assassins are three namers?
2: We've got one today.
3: I don't know. I mean, isn't that weird? It's
2: nuts. It's because they don't know what to call them. So they use their entire name. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. Mark David Chapman.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. So probably in his real life, he he wasn't a three-namer.
2: Yeah. He was probably just Mark.
1: Or David.
2: Or David. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Depends on how Southern he is.
2: That's true. Here's one for you professional wrestling fans out there. Speaking of Southerners, in September of 1981, Ric Flair defeated Dusty Rhodes to win his first ever World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. But console yourselves, Dusty Rhodes fans, because that outcome was scripted as are all wrestling matches.
3: Oh no!
1: Let that's...
2: the let the angry Woo! emails start flying.
3: Yeah, not yeah. letting that cat out of the
2: bag. So, yeah. sorry, tinfoil hat crowd, yeah. uh, but that's not a real thing.
3: So KT's grandmother, who is now uh, passed away,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, she loved wrestling. Sure, and it was I the never the only thing that was on
2: television when she had I never a TV. got
3: to meet her. She had passed away before we started dating, but right. he would go and visit her Mm -hmm. and she had to watch her wrestling course he liked it too because he was a a, you know young boy but he he tried to mess with her and and say you know Mm -mm. this is fake Mm -mm. and she her response is like well i'd like to see you last in the (laughs) ring oh my god
0: yeah my uh
2: my uh paternal grandparents lived out in the boonies and they just had the the antenna and so one of the channels that came in the clearest was the Superstation, Channel seventeen out of yep. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And in addition to watching the Atlanta Braves in the seventies and eighties, you also got a lot of Georgia championship wrestling. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes both started there. Yeah.
3: yeah. You also got a lot of like rerun T V yeah. in the afternoon.
2: Yeah. Happy
3: days and
2: the first ten Adam's times family. I watched every episode of the Andy Griffith show uh,
0: yep, yep. was
2: on the on Superstation. The Superstation, right. yeah. Uh, Also in September of 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor took her seat as the first woman to ever be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, Ronald Reagan had appointed her, or nominated her, rather, uh, back in July. Uh, And as I have already said more than once today, Ronald Reagan, I've said the name, he's the subject of today's episode, in case we haven't given it away already. But what does the title of this episode, which is, Katie, Rawhide Rides Again, what does that have to do with Ronald Reagan? You tell me. I'm about to. Here we go. As is standard practice, to this day, the Secret Service, which guards the life of the president, assigns a code name to all of the politicians that are in their charge, uh, in part because of Reagan's previous career as an actor in Hollywood, which included at least a few roles in cowboy-style westerns. Mm -hmm. Not many. Not as many as he would have liked, it turns out. Uh, And also because Reagan enjoyed riding horses and working on his ranch out in California, the code name that was selected for Reagan was Rawhide.
0: All right. Okay.
2: And I'm Rawhide, like. incidentally, was a TV show in the 50s and 60s that starred a young Clint Eastwood.
3: Oh. So I I do remember when we talked about the Kennedy assassination, mm-hmm. his was the man?
2: Is that what it no, was? No, his was uh, Lancer.
3: Oh, Lancer. But they, I just remember them getting on there saying, yeah. the man is down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Lancer
2: was his Secret Service code Lancer, name. okay. You know, like, as in Lancelot, as in Camelot.
3: I gotcha. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the Secret Service, nice segue, Kelly. That organization had come a long way since the 1963 assassination of John F. Kennedy. And for those of you who would like, you can go back and listen to our two-part series about that tragic event we recorded last November. That's season three, episodes 47 and 48. We suggest that you use Spotify. Uh, Yes, yes. By 1981, the Secret Service had come a very long way indeed since the 1960s and since its inception. Here's something I didn't know. The man who signed the legislation that created the Secret Service was President Abraham Lincoln and he signed it on April the 14th, 1865 just a few hours before he was assassinated at Ford's Theater.
3: Now that is irony. Tragic. Alanis, Alanis Morissette. Irony. That's irony. Yeah. That's ironic. Yeah, Alanis, okay. That's ironic. Everything in your song is not.
2: Nothing in her song <laughs> is ironic.
3: <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> no, so I, No, that's fine. The Secret Service was initially created uh, to investigate counterfeit U.S. currency, which was a big problem during the time of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Uh, The organization was not assigned to uh, protect the president until 1901. Mm. Okay. So even after James Garfield became the second U.S. president to be assassinated in 1881, it was still not the job of the Secret Service to protect the chief executive. In fact... Twenty years after Lincoln was assassinated, the citizens of the United States felt that the president should be accessible to any citizen at any time. Oh. Anytime. That's and, terrifying. And so President Garfield had no security detail when he was shot by an assassin, a lone assassin, while standing on a railroad platform in Washington, D.C. That's on July the second of that year. Yeah.
3: That would totally change who runs for office in this day and time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's, if that were the case. Yeah absolutely yeah
3: you'd get probably
1: more military people and you know people who were just
3: you'd like, get people who were really dedicated to the service yeah <laughs> of, yeah and, of the american people but, and
1: not but just not you know less fear you know you know people mm-hmm. with not yeah, a that's lot true. of fear because that's true
3: yeah
2: so it was after mckinley became the third president to be assassinated in 1901 that Congress finally requested a full-time security detail for the chief executive and the Secret Service was given the job.
1: Wait, there were three whole assassinations before we...
2: That's before
3: right. We, three strikes.
2: hmm Yeah. Okay. The first time the Secret Service stopped an assassination attempt was in 1950. And it was then for the only time in U.S. history, so far at least, that a member of the Secret Service was killed in the line of duty. hmm and that during an attempt on the life of President Harry Truman. And just in case that event ever pops up on live trivia across the way at Easy Street on Wednesday nights, that officer's name was Leslie Kofelt.
3: And he died.
2: He died. And we're not going to hash it out again, but we still recall how spectacularly the Secret Service failed in Dallas in November of 1963. Yep. Twelve years later in 1975, in September, President Gerald Ford survived... Two assassination attempts within just a few weeks of each other. The following month, the Secret Service gave him a bulletproof trench coat to wear. Nice. I found out.
1: Wow. I bet. How did he walk around with that? Uh, uh, that maybe why he fell. Ford, yeah, Ford
2: was clumsy anyway. That <laughs> that heavy overcoat <laughs> didn't help anything. Uh, did I just unplug myself? Can you guys still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I, I, I crossed my legs and something. Mm. There was never mind.
3: No. I. No. You're good.
2: Um. There have been a lot of presidential assassination attempts through the years, but we're not going to get into all of them. If you really want to know more, go to Google and uh, type in presidential assassination attempts and read the rest for yourself if you like.
1: Okay. I could see in this day and age if there if there was one that it would be kept secret. You know, if it wasn't if it, could, it wasn't there's televised too much
2: press, there's too much press around the president at all times, I think, for that to happen. Maybe. It would depend. Yeah. It dep- yeah. All right. I'm through fiddling around. All right. You guys ready to get started with this thing?
3: Let's do it.
2: Our story today takes place on March the 30th, 1981. It was a Monday. Kind of like today. Cloudy, overcast, cold. The broad outlines of the story may be familiar to many. Reagan, freshly turned 70 years old at the time, had just finished giving a speech when he was shot by a deranged gunman. He was rushed to the hospital and underwent surgery. By that evening, it was almost certain that he would fully recover. Indeed, Reagan was back at the White House in just 12 days and gave a stirring speech to Congress less than a month after the assassination attempt. But a lot of what happened that day was not revealed until a book titled Rawhide Down was published by a reporter named Dell Quinton Wilbur in 2011. It turns out that the White House had kept secret the fact that Reagan almost died that day in the emergency room. In fact, there were plenty of facts about what happened that day that no one knew for 30 years until this book came out. We're going to tell you a few of them today. So Reagan had been president for just a couple of months when he and his Secret Service detail prepared to take a short limousine ride from the White House to the Washington Hilton Hotel in D.C. Reagan was headed there on that chilly overcast day to give a speech in the afternoon to a large group of union organizers in the hotel's ballroom. The Washington Hilton was one of the city's prime venues for presidential speeches and fundraisers, and it still is today. The hotel featured a specially designed VIP entrance, which turned out to be a terrific waste of time and money, and I'm about to tell you why. Uh, It was on the side of the building, and it was installed after the Kennedy assassination in order to uh, help protect the president when he went there for speeches, which had happened dozens and dozens. Every president goes to the Washington Hilton to give speeches to large groups of people. They have a huge ballroom and the security, and it's close, so it's an easy, an easy trip over in a normally a pretty secure location. <clears throat> uh, before leaving for the speech, Reagan ate breakfast that morning with his wife, Nancy. Oh, I forgot. You guys know that Reagan loved his jelly beans, right?
3: I didn't know that.
2: Yes, he had a huge glass bowl of jelly beans on the uh, table in the cabinet room of the White House. And so I brought you guys some jelly beans today.
3: Scott has brought a Ziploc bag of jelly beans. I think these are jelly bellies, actually, jelly beans. You know the jelly bellies? Yeah. like a brand of jelly
1: beans? I saved
2: the wrapper because those are the gourmet jelly beans and they have the different weird flavors and there's a there's a uh, there's is there
1: a, a popcorn flavor.
2: There's an image on the back that shows what each flavor is, and I thought that I brought it. I think it's in the bottom of my bag, but I'll get it out in a minute. These are not those can...
3: Harry Potter no 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 no, no no, ones. No, there's oh, there's, there's, there's a peach
2: flavored. There's popcorn. All
3: right, let me try one and see if I can figure out. Anyway, Reagan's. in
2: honor of the fact that we're discussing Reagan today, all right, I'm gonna try. I brought this the one. jelly beans.
3: I wanna guess it's peach.
2: That looks like the peach. Yeah.
3: I'm chewing. I'm gonna chew in the microphone. Yeah, please.
2: Yum 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 yum. Wonderful. It was
3: peach. A little muck bomb. Keep talking. Let it me see if I can find this. That was a peach one.
1: Yum. That was good. Did you find the buttered popcorn? I'm going to guess this is popcorn.
0: Banana. Well, shit.
2: Banana. I can't banana.
3: Find it. Oh, I'll expect Yummy. Popcorn. I love banana. Got banana. Those are delicious. Like Thanks, Scott.
2: Um, yeah, I'll get one later. Anyway, so Reagan had breakfast that morning with his wife, Nancy. He put on a brand new... dark blue pinstripe suit that Nancy had given him for his birthday on February the 6th. And the president was then joined that morning by, among others, Secret Service Agent Jerry Parr, P-A-R-R. And we're not going to overwhelm our listeners with names today. Okay. We We do need to mention a few, and Agent Parr is one of them. Okay. Parr had joined the Secret Service in 1962 and had been the lead agent on President Carter's security detail prior to Reagan's election. Okay. In fact, in the hours after JFK was assassinated in Dallas in 1963, uh, Agent Parr had been sent to Dallas to guard the wife and mother of Lee Harvey Oswald.
3: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Um, and he had some interesting stories to tell about Lee Harvey Oswald's mother.
3: Oh, I'm
1: sure. She was. She seemed interesting in like the, yeah, the movie. Yeah. She,
2: she, wa- she thought she was going to be famous, she was going to write a book, and she was very excited. That she was on the national stage. Wow. Had no Ugh. concern whatever for the fact that the president had been assassinated. Uh,
0: that's yeah. terrible.
2: Anyway, back to March the 30th, 1981, while President Reagan and Agent Parr were getting ready to head towards downtown D.C., 25-year-old John Hinckley Jr. was lying awake in his uh, hotel room across town at the Park Central Hotel. Doesn't matter. Uh, he was still exhausted from a long bus ride. Hinkley had been a good student in high school. He played sports. He got good grades. He was elected president of his senior class. He was very popular among his classmates, but he'd sort of become a bum in his college years. Uh, and I guess that's the age when that starts to present itself, right, Kelly? I mean,
3: I mean, it should. It
1: if, could, if mental yeah. illness
2: occurs, oh, a lot of times, I thought he is, meant
3: becoming a bum. <laughs>
1: well,
2: yeah, I guess I. I very uh, yeah. there, He I mean, had some mental be. problems, but okay, yeah. doesn't some, that usually... some of them
3: start manifesting in late, Manifest. teens, early twenties? Uh, yeah. yeah, this guy, depending on what it is.
2: Yeah. In, in addition to that, uh, he had become a gun nut and a self avowed white supremacist, among other shortcomings. Ugh, I'm
3: going to well. say that might have a little bit mm-hmm. to do with. At
2: that. age 20, Hinckley had quit college and moved to Los Angeles to try and become a songwriter. Oh, but that attempt at normality had been a failure.
3: That's Uh, very um, Charles Manson
2: of him. Yeah, Uh, right. Actually, his name is going to pop up later. (laughs) Uh, So much so, uh, his failure, that at least on one occasion, Hinkley had contemplated suicide at least once. Hmm. A visit to a psychiatrist paid for by his wealthy parents had not helped Hinkley to overcome an ever-increasing state of depression. In the previous months before the day our story takes place, Hinkley had been living mostly with his parents in Colorado. And he had been obsessed with some time, uh, for some time, with a young actress that he had seen in a movie a few years earlier. So obsessed, in fact, that he spent a great part of his time at his parents' house alone in his room, imagining how he might stage his own dramatic death in front of her just to get her attention.
3: Stage his death. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. then you don't know that. That's where my you're mind You're not went. around to know the attention was We're given. dealing with
2: mental illness. Here. Yeah, I
3: mean, I know that. Yeah, it's right. just uh, that irrational, irrational thinking. Hinkley definitely.
2: also imagined killing her and then killing himself oh. so that they would both be famous.
3: Oh, well, she was already famous. Yes, that's true. Right? Yes. This particular
2: This particular person Person, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, we're going to reveal her name in a moment.
3: Okay. Some people are probably already know it. Yeah,
2: I think so. Oh. Uh, Hinkley had fallen in love with a young actress when she was barely a teenager when she appeared in a film by director Martin Scorsese, who at this point is practically a friend of the show. We've mentioned him so often. I know. yeah, I know. <laughs> But we'll get back to the Martin Scorsese film in a minute. Okay. By early 1981, the young actress, who was the object of Hinckley's affection, was in her late teens attending college at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. She had decided to spend a few years away from her acting career in order to get an education, just in case Hollywood didn't pan out. pretty smart smart. yeah Yeah. on march the 26th of this year hinckley had finally decided he was going to find his true love and introduce himself in person he uh so he crammed a few belongings into a suitcase among them not insignificantly his copy of the book ted bundy the killer next door
1: Oh wow! Oh, interesting yeah. choice. He stuffed Some a good, s- wholesome reading, right?
2: He stuffed a six-shot, twenty-two caliber revolver into his army field jacket and left his parents' house in Colorado, headed for Connecticut via cross-country bus.
3: Was he in the army? No, no, oh, just had Arm-
2: a- army field jackets were like, all the rage back
3: okay, okay, then. Okay, gotcha.
2: Had been since Vietnam, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. Higley was still finalizing his plan for confronting nineteen-year-old Jody Foster
0: mm.
2: when he arrived, hungry and exhausted, in D.C. on March the 29th. Okay, That was a Sunday. Down to his last $129, Hinckley rented the aforementioned hotel room and mostly failed in his attempt to get some sleep. Again, remember, he's very disturbed. Oh, and uh, if you're a Jodie Foster fan out there like I am, she is starring now in season four of True Detective on HBO. You can watch it on the Max app. Yeah. And uh, Kelly, you said you did not like it. No. I'm, no, I... I'm, I'm hanging in there. I
3: gave it one episode and was like, "Nah."
1: Is True Detective the one that it's a different every season? Yeah. Like, did it? The have The first Woody season Harrelson. was Woody
2: Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I've seen that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh,
3: I really liked that season, and I liked yeah. season three.
2: I think it's mostly most people agree that the first season was the best one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was But good.
2: I like this one so far. It's set in it's set in Alaska. Uh, Jodie Foster plays the the town sheriff. There's a a, a grisly murder has taken place, and mm-hmm. she is charged with investigating what happened but it's it's in alaska during the period when the sun doesn't rise when it's dark for months so the whole thing takes place at night it's kind of depressing but i'm sticking in there i'll 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 keep you posted all right i'll let you know what happens all right the next morning march the 30th hinckley had an egg mcmuffin for breakfast sorry mcdonald's is not a sponsor but they could be Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I like then it. he, really yeah. Then he grabbed a copy of uh, that day's edition of the Washington Star while walking back to his hotel room. His eyes were drawn to page A four, which included a printout of President Reagan's schedule for the day. Remember, he's headed to Connecticut mm-hmm. to confront that- Jody Foster. So
3: smart to have the president's schedule.
1: Yeah. That's what. Yeah, the this paper. this stuff is just blown my
3: mind. That, yeah.
1: The things that used to happen.
2: So while he was in the shower back in his room, Hinckley began to second guess his plan for killing himself in front of his true love Jodie Foster. And then suddenly he had an idea—a wonderful, awful idea. Uh oh! What better way to impress Jodie Foster than to assassinate the president of the United States?
3: Oh wow! Was she not a Reagan
2: supporter? I. It didn't matter. Did, uh, that he just, didn't know that was just a him. way that he that figured he, he, could, was,
3: he was just going to get famous and impress her, and yes. it was going to include a gunshot to yeah. somebody. He
2: could get his name and face in the paper. Remember, uh, uh, John Lennon had just been shot back in December. Yeah, and so Hinckley saw all of the publicity that Mark David Chapman had received. Mm-hmm. That's probably churning in his tiny sure. brain. Um, let's try and put ourselves in Hinckley's mind for just a minute, shall right. we? Because there's sure. room enough for all three of us. Sure in there. Okay. Uh, Hinkley's is the mind of a depressed loner, a failed L.A. songwriter, and he's in love with a talented, acclaimed actress who had already been nominated for an Academy Award for her role as a teenage prostitute in Taxi Driver, the Scorsese film. Yes. Hinckley Hinkley was hypnotized by the movie, so much so that he had seen it at least 15 times, and just like the Robert De Niro character Travis Bickle, Hinkley began buying guns and keeping a diary, and... Began to obsess over a woman.
3: Did he think he was Bickle?
2: That's, yeah. Okay. He certainly identified with the mm-hmm. character.
3: Did he hear voices?
2: I don't know. Oh. I, don't, I don't think so.
3: Seems though he has a, a difficulty interpreting reality from movies or film or. Seems that way. Yeah.
2: And he, mm. he thinks that Jodie Foster's going to fall in love with him. Uh what Hinckley lacked in talent and ambition, Jody Foster had in droves
3: and uh, let me just say this sure. uh now in twenty twenty four uh we know that there's absolutely no way Jody Foster would have ever fallen in love, yeah with him right, for multiple reasons yeah he
2: was uh really swinging at air there, big time, yeah, big time. <laughs> Oh, man. wow, I didn't even think about that. No, yeah. He's
3: he's completely and utterly not her Good type point. in every way.
2: Yeah. Uh so it's at this point when Hinckley realizes that a dozen roses in a box of candy is probably not going to persuade Jodie Foster to love him back. In Hinckley's disturbed brain, the rallying cry has become go big or go home. And so Hinckley is gonna go big. All right. In his attempt to impress Jody Foster. Uh, it sounds crazy, right? And it is.
3: Yeah, it's very difficult for us to, to link all this together to make it seem like it's it makes sense yeah. it, it, because it only makes sense to him. This
2: is the mind it's of a deranged
3: man. Ve- very irrational.
2: We already know that Hinckley has been seeing a psychiatrist and was depressed, but here's something else. The previous year, Hinckley had stalked President Jimmy Carter while he was on the campaign trail. In fact, it was discovered later that Hinckley at one point had gotten to within one foot of President Carter. While he was giving a speech in Dayton, Ohio, but Hinckley had left his revolver in the locker at the bus station. He did not want to risk getting caught with a gun during what he considered to be a test run for a possible future assassination attempt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that future opportunity arrived on Monday, March the 30th, 1981. This time Hinckley brought his gun along when he headed for exactly where compliments of the Washington star. He knew the president was going to be that afternoon. Mm. Before leaving his hotel room, Hinckley sat down and penned a love letter to Jodie Foster, and it included these sentences, and I'm quoting, "...there is a definite probability that I will be killed in my attempt to get Reagan. It is for that very reason that I am writing you this letter. As you well know by now, I love you very much." And he signed it, John Hinckley. Hinckley included the last line that I just read because he had not simply admired Jodie Foster from a distance since 1976. He had found out sometime in 1980 from a magazine article that she was a student at Yale and so he began sending her love letters. Oh.
1: Okay.
2: <clears throat> at some point, Hinckley got uh, Foster's dorm room phone number and somehow summoned the courage to give her a call on the phone. He even tape recorded the conversations for posterity. And if you want, you can go on YouTube and listen to those. Are they creepy? Yes. Um, at one point... Hinkley asks Jody Foster, what are your friends laughing at in the background? And she says, they're laughing at you. whoops daisy <clears throat> Let
3: yeah. me ask you this. Did he have any, like, uh, we don't know about hallucinations. Mm. We don't really know that. I don't know. Delusions, would you say? Yep. Would you say illogical changes in behavior or thoughts? Yes. Would you say hyperactivity? Possibly. And thought disorder? Yes. Okay. Well, those are the positive symptoms of schizophrenia. Mm, Yeah.
2: I think he was probably, uh, I think in in, in the trial. He he does
3: not sound depressed to me. I mean, you can have some
2: downs. So he was misdiagnosed.
3: Well that, but yeah. Mm. Sounds a little manic. Yeah, kind Mm. of. And that's very difficult because sometimes with, with bipolar, it would have been manic depression. I think back in the eighties is what they called it. But um, some of these things can occur as well. Okay. But man, I don't know. I don't know about this one. He's he's um Am
2: I insensitive if I say the guy was nuts?
3: No, you're okay. not. I mean, well, I yeah. don't know. Maybe.
2: There's a 45-minute documentary that you can watch. Uh just get on Google and uh search for the, this is the title. It's a little long. How a man obsessed with Jodie Foster nearly killed the president. Uh and it includes an interview with the guy who wrote the book Rawhide Down, uh Dell Quinton, whatever his name was. I see
3: that just sounds so so wild and and not connected, you know?
2: Well, when he wrote the letter, Hinkley folded the letter, stuck it in an envelope, put it into his suitcase with his copy of the Ted Bundy book, and left it in his hotel room.
1: So he didn't send the letter.
2: No. That's how they found it. Uh, Wow. uh, He then reached into the same suitcase and grabbed a box uh, containing six Devastator bullets. Devastator bullets Mm -hmm. are designed to explode on impact and inflict maximum damage.
3: What does his voice sound like on the recordings? Normal. It does. Yeah. Does he sound calm? Yeah, but not like creepy calm. Mm.
2: Well, it sounds creepy to me, but I know what he did later. Mm.
3: But if you if if mm. he had not have gone and shot the president, yeah. would you still think he's creepy?
2: Based Probably. on the things that he said, yeah. But you know, yeah. you know that I love you, and uh, why can't we be together? Kind of nuts. Yeah. I don't feel bad about saying nuts, now. but just
3: an an obsessed fan, but- yeah. And it's a completely different ball game. Yeah.
2: Back on the other side of town, after giving his afternoon speech to 4,000 union members at the Washington Hilton Reagan and his secret service detail, walked back down the long hallway lined with presidential portraits to the VIP exit to get into the back of the 1972 Lincoln continental limousine that was used to transport the chief executive. The specially designed vehicle weighed six tons was protected by heavy armor and bulletproof glass and featured a powerful V8 engine. Oddly, its rear doors opened backward. Stick a pin in that, because that design Uh, quirk... Explain
3: that to me. What do you mean?
2: Instead of opening with the hinges at the front of the door, the hinges were in the back of the door so that it opened.
1: Like a hearse?
2: Yeah, it it just opened with the doors facing... The front of the the door came unattached instead of the rear of the door. So that the door opened.
1: So the door would open, like if you're on the driver's side, the door would open to the right instead of the left.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could open the the driver's side door and the door behind it, and the doors would face each other. Ah, I'm with
3: you now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not talking about... The very back of a vehicle. You're talking about like oh, the,
2: the back seat. The side doors, like the, the back the seat. seat. The rear yeah. seat. The rear seat doors so, okay. open the I'm wrong way.
3: For some reason in my head, I was thinking like...
2: Oh, I got you. The very oh, like, back, had a, like a hearse the, yeah. would open. No, not yeah. that way. Okay. I see right. what you mean. Um, what happened next is available for viewing on YouTube. Video footage of the assassination attempt was captured by several news cameras. Oh, God. They were there that day behind a rope line that had been temporarily set up about 20 feet from the VIP entrance and the presidential limousine.
3: Well, they knew his schedule.
2: Yes. The limo was parked, engine running, and backward-facing, right-rear door open, awaiting the arrival of the president and his security team. And uh, just to get the image in your mind, the car was parked where the trunk of the car, the rear of the car, was closest to the rope line. Okay. In other words, when Reagan got to the rear door of the car from the VIP entrance, the open rear door itself would shield him from the f- from the VIP the rope line, I got gotcha. you. Or from the rope line where and the, people the people were gathering, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And from the reporters and the few dozen spectators, and John Hinckley Jr. with his twenty-two caliber uh, revolver with exploding bullets. Mm-hmm. The time was two twenty seven p.m. We will tell you what happened next. Right after this word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by AW Outdoor Services, located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. It's almost time to tidy up the deck, clean the gutters, and spruce up the yard and landscaping around your home, lake house, or creekside cabin. And who better to do that for you than the professional crew at AW Outdoor Services? Call 256 706 7964 and let Alan and his crew do all the hard work for you so you can spend your time this summer enjoying your piece of Cherokee County in clean, carefree comfort. Call Alan today for a free estimate or to get on the AW Spring schedule before it's full. That's ANW Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964.
3: Hey guys, do you know what time it is? Tell us. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in beautiful Cherokee County, Alabama.
1: Many outdoor adventures await. You can wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best year-round at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. Take a day's long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park. And there's so much more.
2: The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds. And they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be.
3: So come see us from wherever you are located. And if you already live right here in Cherokee County, then plan your summer staycation with the Chamber by visiting cherokee-chamber.org.
1: thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors we appreciate each and every one of you scott i guess this is where the story gets
2: yes so it's 2 27 p.m on monday march the 30th 1981 just as president reagan walked towards his car from the vip entrance and raised his left arm to wave at the crowd at the rope line six shots rang out the first shot hit President, uh, Press Secretary James Brady in the head. Oh. Just above his right eye. He fell so close to Hinckley that he almost landed on top of him.
1: Oh. He fell on the shooter.
2: Almost. It was right at his feet. Oh. He was that close when the, when the shot was fired.
1: Is, is he with us still?
2: I'll get to that. Oh, okay. The second shot hit police officer Tom Delahanty in the back of the neck, dropping him to the ground. He screamed, I've been hit. Hinckley's third shot sailed over President Reagan's head likely because Reagan's head was no longer where Hinckley was aiming, because just a millisecond before he pulled that trigger the third time, Agent Parr shoved the president into the open door of the limousine and followed him into the car. Mm -hmm. The fourth shot hit Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy, who was standing between Reagan and Hinckley. McCarthy had whirled towards the sound of the gunfire and spread his body to act as a shield to the president. He got hit in the abdomen with bullet number four. It oh, spun him to the golly, ground. Yeah. Yeah, it damaged his, uh, it punctured his right lung and damaged his liver. Oh no. Shot number five slapped into the bulletproof glass of the rearward opening door on the right side of the limousine. And the sixth and final shot at first appeared to have harmlessly ricocheted across the sidewalk. Mm. Hinkley fired all six of those shots in 1.7 seconds, which is the amount of time it takes to say 1.7 seconds.
1: Wow. Um, but he's also obviously bang, 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 bang. a terrible yeah. shot. Sounds like it.
2: Yeah. Well, the door was in the way. Mm-hmm. James Brady was in the way. Tim McCarthy was in the way. The gla- the bulletproof glass of the door was in the way.
3: And, now f- and then Parr has jumped
2: Boom. on it. They're into the car in. on top yeah. of him. Yeah. After hearing the first shot, uh, Agent Parr's years of training and experience had immediately kicked in. He grabbed Reagan, shoved him into the back of the car, into the backseat floorboard, Onto the riser in front of the back seat where the transmission, you know, where the drive shaft goes. Mm -hmm. Um, He landed hard on top of the president and shouted, Let's go.
0: Go,
3: go,
2: go. The door slams shut, the car takes off. Another Secret Service agent had spotted Hinckley crouching on the ground, firing his weapon after he heard the first shot. As the limo sped away, that agent tackled Hinckley and recalled later that he could hear the click, click, click of the gun because Hinckley was still pulling the trigger even after all six bullets had been fired from the chamber of the revolver. Ah. Mm. And here's a little bit more uh, tragic presidential irony for you. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms discovered within hours of the shooting that Hinckley had purchased that revolver a few months before at a pawn shop in Dallas, Texas.
3: Oh, Ooh. wow.
2: Hinckley offered no resistance as he was handcuffed and hustled toward a police car that had been part of the morning's motorcade. An understandably agitated mass of people, including agents, cops, reporters, and spectators converged on Hinckley and the agents holding him, some of them screaming and shouting, kill that son of a bitch. Sure. Now, none of the agents wanted a repeat of the Lee Harvey Oswald fiasco uh, from the Dallas police garage. <laughs> yeah. So getting the shooter away from the scene unharmed was of paramount importance. We didn't want another conspiracy nut or a conspiracy theory. Meanwhile, inside the presidential limousine, Agent Parr's head was filled with more questions than answers. How badly were his men injured? Was this a terrorist attack? Was it the beginning of World War III? It finally occurred to him that he might have been injured in the shooting, and he gave himself a quick once-over, determined he was okay. No blood anywhere in his hair. He did the same thing to the president. Ran his hand through the president's hair, checked him everywhere, didn't see any blood. Uh, in answer to Parr's questions about how he felt physically, Reagan said that he wasn't hit, but he thought he might have been injured when Parr landed on top of him mm-hmm. in the car.
1: Because he's 70?
2: 70 years old. 6'2", six six one, 190 pounds, I think, Reagan. Mm-hmm. 70 years old. Parr grabbed the radio transmitter and gave the order for the limousine and the follow-up car to return to the White House. And just about then, he looked over at the president again. And the president said, I can't breathe. I think you broke one of my ribs when you landed on top of me. Mm. Reagan wiped his lips with, with a napkin that he had picked up at the speech mm-hmm. at the hotel. And when he took it away from his mouth, it had frothy blood oh, on it. No. So Parr realized immediately that Reagan had blood in his lungs. Yeah. Possibly from a puncture caused by a broken rib. Go back to the White House. There's a doctor at the White House.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or go to the hospital. That was the determination, the decision that Agent Parr had to make. Snap judgment.
3: What did he decide? Hospital. Okay. okay well, yeah. good. Save good. the president's life. Yeah. Good. Good decision.
2: So, on Parr's orders, the driver of the limo stomped on the gas and headed directly for the emergency room at George Washington University Hospital in DC, just a few minutes away. Okay. He was there three minutes later. All right. Uh, at the time, the hospital had one of the most advanced trauma centers in the country, which was a big change from a decade before when it had not had a trauma unit at all.
1: Mm, that's wild.
2: The doctor in attendance in the ER that day, in fact, was the man who had established the trauma unit, the trauma room at mm. George Washington a few years before. It was one of the many lucky breaks that Ronald Reagan caught that day. Yeah. In fact, according to the author of Rawhide Down, in the 1970s, a soldier who had been shot and wounded in Vietnam had a better chance of survival than someone shot on a street corner in most cities in the United States due to the lack of equipment and expertise in dealing with trauma injuries. Mm. But by March of 1981, George Washington had one of the most advanced trauma units in the nation, which was why when Reagan was determined to have been injured in some undetermined way, they still don't know how he's injured, but they know he's coughing up blood. uh, They got him straight to the ER. Like I said, three minutes away. The unlucky break that Reagan caught that day was the trajectory and path of that sixth and final bullet, obviously. Mm. Uh, That bullet had smacked off the side of the limo just above the right rear wheel and passed through a three-inch wide gap that was left when the door opened. There was a gap between the, the edge of the door and the edge of the car, three inches wide. The bullet smacked off the armor on the side of the car. It flattened it to the size of a dime. And just as Reagan was pushed into the back seat of the car, four inches below his left armpit lined up with that trajectory.
3: Oh, oh wow. and that's
2: where the bullet went and in. And it got him. Yeah.
3: Well, and 22s, I believe, for those of you who know a little more about guns out there than, than me, 22 me. bullets tend to ricochet. Yeah. Like they bounce. Yeah.
2: Right? This one did,
3: especially off an armor plated car. Yeah. yeah. So it, I it, know. it flattened it. I think less than nothing. It, yeah. It's about. one of the more infamous ones to do that okay. to ricochet yeah
2: just not enough it, it's not going fast enough to puncture things a lot of so, times it's so slower. he did
3: catch a break from yeah, that yeah he did
2: yeah uh, the flattened bullet cracked a rib tore open a bunch of blood veins which caused massive internal bleeding oh gosh and lodged in Reagan's left lung one inch from his heart oh, oh God. wow when the limousine arrived at the ER entrance at George Washington Reagan insisted on walking into the hospital Good Lord. He made it inside under his own power, but just barely, just past the glass doors. The president collapsed onto one knee, at which point a bunch of orderlies grabbed him and rushed him into trauma room one.
3: He got scooped up. And
2: yeah. Down. Beginning trauma a hectic, okay. chaotic. Yeah. yeah. Trauma room one. Yeah. Beginning a hectic, chaotic, and precarious few hours in the life of the president and the world. Yeah. One of the, uh, of the primary interests to the first doctors on the scene was the president's extremely low blood pressure, which indicated that he was in shock. Those ER doctors knew immediately that most 70-year-old men mm. who were in the same condition as Ronald Reagan did not survive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One nurse told a story about rushing into the room, seeing President Reagan stark naked and barely breathing on the examination table. His brand new pinstripe suit had been cut oh. off of him and was laying in a pile in the floor. hmm uh, the nurse experienced a flashback to the only time she ever remembered seeing her father burst into tears, which had happened 18 years earlier when as a child she was present when her father found out that President Kennedy had been killed. Oh! And so the nurse began to shake and cry herself because she thought that she too was about to experience the death of a president, mm-hmm. this time with her own eyes.
3: That's tough. You know, and I just want to say to folks who work in this field, who do... these these trauma rooms and and do this kinds of thing. Can't imagine. There's so much emotion going on like that. And then you have to just suck it up and go.
2: Yeah. You got to shut it down. Suck it up
3: and go. And they do it every day successfully. That's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing to me.
2: So this very traumatic event, this nurse and the president's there. Nobody thinks he's going to survive. Leave it to Ronald Reagan himself to provide a moment of levity in the room.
3: Wait a minute. He's conscious. Yes. He is laying stark naked yep. on a bed. No mm-hmm. cover because they're working on him.
2: Bunch of IV tubes in his arms. He's got an oxygen mask on his face.
3: He probably doesn't even know he doesn't have any clothes
2: on at this point, does he? Probably not. Yeah,
3: Probably doesn't care. Well, no. actually. I don't know that actually, i Actually, he does. Oh, what does he say? Actually, he does. <laughs> oh, no. Uh,
2: always able to keep his sense of humor intact. Oh, gosh. That Reagan. And known for his ability to think on his feet and apparently on his back as well. Wow. And despite the extremely grave circumstances he found himself in, Reagan at one point chuckled and pretended to complain about the loss of his one thousand dollars suit. <laughs> He's like, "That's a new suit, guys." I know. Come on. And when Nancy was allowed to see him while he was still in the ER room, just a few minutes later, stark naked, tubes yeah. everywhere,
0: yeah,
2: oxygen mask on his face, Nancy leaned in to kiss him on the forehead, and Ron looked at her and said, "Honey, I forgot to duck." That was a line that heavyweight boxing champ Jack Dempsey had said to his wife one night in Chicago in 1926 when he was knocked out in the ring by Gene Tunney during their first fight. That was, I said Chicago, that was in uh, Philadelphia.
3: Philadelphia.
1: The first fight. I mean, they wh-
2: fought again in Chicago.
1: Why is this reminding me of what would happen if Shane Givens got Yeah, shot? right. Like, <laughs> like, why would he be making these jokes in the ERC? Yeah,
2: right. So 55 years after uh, Jack Dempsey said it, the line was spoken again by Dutch Reagan. Dutch was his nickname when he was a kid. And when he was a younger man, he had been a radio sportscaster before he went to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tells this one story Reagan always did about how one time he was calling a baseball game on the radio and he wasn't at the baseball game. He was getting the facts of the baseball game over the telegraph in Morse code. And at one point during the game, the telegraph went out. Oh no. So he had to fake it. And so he just had the guy at home plate foul off like twelve balls in a row until they fixed the telegraph machine.
1: Cause no one can fact check him in this day and age. Nope. No. Nope. That
2: That's... happened a lot. The local radio station would get the feed from the you know, the and Atlanta like, Braves oh, game.
3: Oh, foul
1: ball. And yeah. Oh he
2: did it again, <laughs> folks. This is ridiculous. And we're back. Um Even though Reagan had only been 15 years old at the time of the first Dempsey-Tunney fight, he surely heard that story and knew it from his days as a sportscaster. Mm. Uh, It was probably, honey, I forgot to duck the most famous one-liner in the history of sports at the time, with the possible exception of, say it ain't so, Joe. Mm. Remember the 1919 Black Sox scandal
0: Mm.
2: and shoeless Joe Jackson? Uh, If you don't know about it, you can listen to season three, episode 41 and hear it for yourself.
3: (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) So, what did Nancy say when he said? Oh, she was
2: frantic. Just you know, just I'm sure she chuckled. There, it would have been
1: hilarious if she would have said, "Say it ain't so, Joe." I know, (laughs) I know. Maybe she did. I don't
2: know. Uh, So, the ER doctors in the room with Reagan that day, they initially suspected that the president was having a heart attack. That's the Mm -hmm. first thing they think. Until an orderly who had been in Vietnam and had himself been shot looked on the right, uh, the left side of. Reagan's body and said, hey, there's a bullet wound. It was just a thin slit. Because remember, the bullet was the size of a dime and Mm -hmm. size and shape of a dime. Mm -hmm. And it went in sideways. And interestingly enough, no
3: one argued with him or said, nah, it's not. We got to get him to this other hospital. I think they all
2: realized, oh yeah, shit, it is a gunshot. No, I'm just
3: trying to say, you know, then they didn't like take him immediately away from the hospital and take his body to some (laughs) other just (laughs) unknown location in the dead of the night. (laughs) They just sat there and said, let's work on this bullet. Yeah.
2: Uh, So doctors immediately ordered a a chest x-ray for the president. All right. They found the bullet. They stabilized his breathing uh, and his blood pressure with fluids,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, prepared a plan of action and rushed the president into the operating room for exploratory surgery to remove the bullet that they now realized was still in his chest. Oof. While all of this was happening, back at the White House, Mm -hmm. the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, and the Chief of Staff, among others, were in a constant state of confusion that you can watch reenacted in the 2001 film titled The Day Reagan Was Shot. The movie stars Richard Dreyfuss as Secretary of State Alexander Haig and Richard Crenna as President Reagan. Okay. Where's Um, the
3: Vice President?
2: Hang on, we're getting it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, the movie portrays with a decent amount of historical accuracy, I think, uh, based on what I know about it. There's a lot of confusion. Grabbed okay. a hold of everybody. Who's left running the government in the wake of the absence of Whoa. the president?
3: The vice president.
2: Yeah. Well, the short version of that story was it was a mess because the vice president was in Texas.
3: Why was he in Texas?
2: I don't know. Some campaign function or, or oh. official government function. He was from Texas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. George H.W. Bush. Yes. Um, but the short version of what was going on is it was a, it was a shit show. It was a mess. Mm -hmm. There were some serious arguments about who was in charge. A lot of experienced politicians in the room, in the situation room, in the basement of the white house, a lot of egos in that room. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. The phones didn't work very well. One of the senior aides in the press department went out to try and brief the media and ended up sounding like a total buffoon because he didn't know anything. The press in the room knew more about what had happened than the press secretary, the assistant wow. press secretary. I was about to say,
1: because the press secretary's been the shot. The press secretary
2: right. was shot. He was the, with the president. Uh, the,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. The media quizzing the man knew more about what was going on than he did.
3: That's embarrassing.
1: So they had
2: to get him off the stage. Yeah. Vice President George Bush, like I said, he's in Texas. Communications with Air Force Two, the vice president's plane, were not sophisticated at all. Mm-hmm. I forgot there is an Alabama connection.
3: Oh, what, it is? what is it? What is it? What it is? Tiny.
2: What it is? Tiny Alabama connection. Okay. All right. Uh, the only one I was able to find, a couple of college students in Alabama were able to listen via shortwave radio to the communications between the White House and Air Force Two uh-uh. while George H.W. W. Bush was flying back to Washington, D.C.
3: And that is exactly who you want, being able to Yeah. pick up your communications, Compliment some randos in Alabama. college kids
2: <laughs> with a shortwave radio in dad's basement. I don't know. Good Lord. Uh, Back at George Washington Hospital over the course of 30 minutes while he was being treated in the trauma room and then during a three-hour medical procedure, surgical procedure, Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan lost half of his blood volume. Oh! Eventually, doctors found the bullet, repaired the damage to his internal organs and his left lung, and sent him upstairs to begin his convalescence in a private room. Okay. Reagan would eventually recover, like we said earlier, after spending 12 days in the hospital. That's why he missed going to Houston to witness the first space shuttle because he was in the hospital. Yeah, I would say he had a good excuse. Yeah. Free pass. As I described earlier, three other members of the president's party at the Washington Hilton had been wounded that day. Press Secretary James Brady, Secret Service Agent Timothy McCarthy, and policeman Thomas Delahanty. Mm Mm-hmm. When doctors realized from the FBI and the ATF that Hinckley had used bullets designed to explode, they first fretted over what to do to remove the unexploded bullet that was lodged in Officer Delahanty's neck, ultimately deciding to remove it on April the 2nd while wearing bulletproof vests in the operating room.
3: Well, did it explode? It
2: did not. Delahanty recovered. He is alive and 88 years old today living in Pittsburgh.
3: How about that? My favorite
2: city in the whole wide world.
3: Oh, I wonder if he's a Steelers fan.
2: Uh, Surely he is. You can't live in Pittsburgh and not be a Steelers fan. Uh, Secret Service agent, uh, secret service agent, shit. Mark that. (laughs) (laughs) Secret Service agent, Tim McCarthy.
3: Wait a minute. I think, pause. Yeah. Give her some time to three
2: Oh, I don't oh, no yet. no. Just Before leave you, it. I don't care.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> it's it, yeah, leave it. You know. uh, McCarthy wasn't even supposed to be on the job that day. He had literally lost a coin toss with another agent and had to go into work that morning. He was released from the hospital after a two-hour surgical procedure to remove the bullet in his abdomen, and he was later awarded the NCAA Award of Valor. Uh, he retired in nineteen ninety-three and returned home to Illinois, where he had played college football for the Fighting Illini. Thus, the award from the NCAA.
3: Okay, all
2: right. McCarthy is still alive today, age 74. He is a husband and father of three adult children. Awesome. It turned out that the only bullet of the six fired by Hinckley that day that had actually exploded was the one that hit Jim Brady in the head. Oh, no. Brady would take several months to recuperate.
3: Wow, he's alive?
2: He's, he, he passed away in 2014, but he survived. Holy moly. Well, he suffered brain damage. Oh. Yeah, he lived the rest of his life with uh, slurred speech, partial paralysis, and memory loss. Oh, when he died in 2014, his death was officially considered a homicide.
3: <gasps> yes,
2: because he did eventually die from the injuries he received. Absolutely, from John Hinkley Jr. Yep. Uh, ultimately, though, prosecutors decided not to charge Hinckley with Brady's death. No and, reason given. Oh,
1: uh, well, probably just, probably just time, yeah. I guess. Resources. Speaking
2: of Hinckley, yeah. Uh, the would-be assassin was found not guilty by reason of insanity in nineteen eighty-two.
1: That's why they didn't
2: draw. Yes. He'd already been found not guilty by yeah. reason of insanity. Yeah. Uh he tried to commit suicide twice while he was in jail before the trial, uh, which turned into a battle of competing psychiatric doctors as witnesses. Both sides
3: saying different are arguing things. this. Yeah. yeah.
2: Ultimately, a federal jury found that the prosecution had not met the burden of proving Hinckley's sanity. Beyond Mm, reasonable doubt. Gotcha. And so they sent him to a mental hospital.
3: I mean, they're not wrong.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I agree. If anybody was crazy, it was John Hinckley Jr. Yeah. Uh, Before the Hinckley case, the insanity defense had been used in less than 2% of all American felony cases and was unsuccessful three quarters of the time.
1: It's, it's It's a difficult burden, yeah.
2: Well, it got harder after that because there was a huge national outcry Oh,
0: that Hinckley was angry. found. Yeah. I remember. Yeah.
2: Uh, the U.S. Congress and a number of states enacted legislation that made the insanity defense more restrictive. It put the burden of proof on the defense to prove that he was crazy.
0: Yeah. So Instead this is of the, the burden of the, of the state to prove that he's
2: not. So
1: this yeah. is before that. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Because when you said that, yeah. I wasn't going to argue with you because I figured you would but. I was thinking that the burden was... That's but right, I think
3: you and can, Hinkley's the reason why. I think you can look at him and say, I mean, does he truly understand right from wrong?
2: Yeah. Well, they had 34 years to yeah. figure it out because that's how long he spent in a mental hospital. Uh, and while he was there, he conducted interviews with Penthouse Magazine. Wow. Wrote letters to serial killer Ted Bundy, tried to get Charles Manson's address... And received at least one letter from Annette Squeaky from the Manson follower who had tried to assassinate President Ford back in 1975. Wow, one it's like attempts. they have a, a presidential
3: assassination support group. Right,
2: yeah, exactly. Wow. As for the president, Ronald Reagan's popularity soared in the wake of the oh, shooting. Oh, yes. His honey, I forgot to duck remark, along with another famous line he uttered just before they put him under in the operating room. You guys remember this one? Uh, he looked up at all the doctors around him and said wow I hope you guys are all Republicans
3: (laughs) no I don't remember
2: (laughs) to which the surgeon replied Mr. President today we're all Republicans (laughs) yes So, uh, anyway Reagan remained popular as president throughout his two terms despite a bunch of scandals in his second term uh, famously the Iran-Contra affair which is on my list of things to talk about at some point down the road Mm -hmm. maybe if Kelly Lee will let me do it (laughs) <laughs> uh, president Reagan said after the shooting that he felt his life had been spared, at least in part, so that he could help the world avoid a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. And ultimately, I guess he accomplished that goal because we're sitting here today.
3: Yeah, I guess so, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, the nation's 40th president passed away in June of 2004 at the age of 93 from pneumonia and complications from Alzheimer's.
3: Mm-hmm. I was in Washington D.C. the day they flew his body in. Really. And I was there the a couple of days leading up to it. Right. And I got to watch the uh planes practice where they fly up and then one drops off. Right. Got to see that. Yeah. And uh the place was I mean it was uh The it missing was a man circus. formation that is called. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um and the, every time everywhere you turn that this road's blocked off, this road you couldn't yeah. get anywhere near yeah, any <laughs> he lied
2: I guess he, he laid in state Uh, at the Capitol. Mm -hmm.
3: I flew out the day he flew in.
2: Okay. And uh, Reagan is buried at his presidential library, which is in, um, is it Sacramento? It's in California. Um, And finally, uh, for today, on a lighter note, uh, if you would like to see how the cast of Saturday Night Live found a way in March of 1983 to apply the creative formula of tragedy plus time equals comedy to kill off one of the show's most beloved characters, and in the process, skewer the national media coverage of Reagan's shooting two years earlier, all you have to do is Google the phrase, Buckwheat has been shot.
3: Oh my gosh.
2: Or the official name of the skit, which I found out, is Buckwheat Buys the Farm. Yeah. Uh, and while we're on a kick of weird coincidences Ed, Eddie today- Eddie Murphy. Yes. Eddie Murphy had premiered his Buckwheat character on SNL on October the 10th, 1981, which was exactly one year to the day after the real-life Buckwheat childhood actor Billy Thomas died at the age of 49.
3: Oh.
2: You remember the Buckwheat Sings the Hits?
3: I do remember. I remember. (laughs)
2: Times I made it. I
3: know. Eddie Murphy's hilarious. Back
2: in in early 1983, young breakout star Eddie Murphy was so sick and tired of playing Buckwheat on Saturday Night Live Mm -hmm. that he wanted to kill him off. This is the story. So the writers at SNL decided to use the Reagan assassination attempt and the news coverage of it. For the outline of the skit, which also starred uh, Joe Piscopo as ABC News anchor Ted Koppel, who repeated over and over and over the line, Buckwheat has been shot. Over and over. The highlights of the Buckwheat uh, has been shot skit include endless reshowings of the footage uh, in slow motion, Mm -hmm. hysterical loved ones being asked, uh, pressured to comment on the tragedy, including famously Mary Gross as Alfalfa, if you recall. You guys have to watch this if you've never seen it. Uh, and even a corporate sponsor who urged people to use their product because, quote, buckwheat would have wanted it that way.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's one of the little rascals. I forget the so they of yeah. all the little rascals.
2: Uh, incidentally, if we uh, if 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 we ever decide that we want to do an April Fool's Day show, mm-hmm. and April Fool's Day falls on a Wednesday in twenty twenty six, I've you already li- checked.
3: Why would you go live with this? And, and well, it's two surprise. years;
2: they'll forget it by then. <laughs> but we should do the whole buckwheat thing. <laughs>
3: Probably not. Yeah, maybe not.
2: <laughs> all right, guys, that's all I've got. That is the story of Rawhide Rides Again.
3: And ride right again he did yes, for a did. second term and right. and on and on until he finally passed until away. Two thousand four. Uh,
2: Shit, there went my notes.
3: <laughs> literally. I don't need them anymore. Littered <laughs> the floor of the studio. And
2: Katie felt. just cleaned.
3: You just, I don't, you... Did you even hit the desk with those I think I completely missed decided. it. I don't even know why I moved the
2: chair closer to the desk. Just <laughs> say your glasses
3: are sitting there.
2: Yeah. Well, I, thank yeah, you, Scott.
3: Why. That was a very good... I, I learned a lot of new things I did about too. that. I learned a lot. lot and I, I so. remember
2: when it all happened, but I still learned a lot.
3: Yeah, so thank you very much. And you guys can uh, thank Scott by leaving us a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yes. Uh, you can visit our website, truecrimeoneasystreet.com. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, you can leave comments there. Whatever. The platform love it. formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. If you want. X.
2: Yeah, it's X now. X. So. X me out of there. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, anything else today, guys?
3: No. Is that, that it? Is Are we it? done? We're done.
2: Good night, everybody.